Recording in progress. All right, everybody, welcome to the Multiverse of Marvel podcast, where each week or whenever I decide to record, our resident Marvel guys, Aaron and Dan Grindley, will dive into a crazy corner of the ever-expanding Marvel multiverse, which looks like it will be expanding this year with Doctor Strange, but we'll get into that later, But because right now, this week, we'll be talking about Moon Knight. Because, uh, as I'm sure most people know, there's the... Uh, Disney Plus uh, show coming up. Uh, it's what? Uh, End of the month, I think. Yeah, it's March 30th, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. Let me just think. I Actually, think I don't think it, it would look like the 30th. I think it's a 20 something. Yeah, no, no, you're right. 30th. I think it's the 30th. Yeah, so yeah, it's March 30th, and it's going to be uh, six episodes. And uh, I was checking on IMDb, and they only had the first episode listed and they don't have a length on it yet so i'm guessing it's probably like you know probably 30 to 60 minutes probably judging by judging by the last like few shows that came out and uh last we talked uh what uh were we talking about one of the shows last i can't remember loki yeah so loki yeah so uh what came out after loki that last year it was uh, uh shang chi we've had hawkeye and we've had eternals i haven't finished hawkeye but uh, i watched shang chi yeah. um i can't get excited about eternals but yeah i can't, I, I can't I, ever get excited about eternals the only eternal series i have i bought out of obligation because i love miracle man and wanted neil gaiman to be able to do more and was happy with the idea that marvel would make it accessible to the masses so that work. paid off. Uh, that's good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know anything about the Eternals. And I saw it in the theater when the theaters were open last year. And uh, uh, it was okay. I All you really <laughs> need to know about the Eternals is it's one of those comics that only really works when the right person's behind it, you know? And when Jack Kirby created it, it worked because yeah. it was Jack Kirby, right? And yeah. then other people took it and just it, it didn't work right. Yeah. And uh, uh, Gaiman, Neil Gaiman, the, the miniseries that Aaron was mentioning there, he seems to have a pretty good idea of it. But I mean, he's Neil Gaiman. The guy can write well, pretty much yeah. I've I've read long ago, like the the first Eternals that I ever came across was, um, remember that Christmas ages ago when Becky was like, hey, Aaron, my landlord was like, hey, we found these comics. Mm-hmm. You know anything about them? Here's a milk crate full of comics. Hell yeah, <laughs> this is just Becky, this is the best Christmas gift anybody has ever given. <laughs> and it's no. just my my uh, stepsister. Just like I found these, they mean nothing to me. But uh, the Thor run that had uh, the Eternals uh, was in in that, right. and it was it was fine enough. It's it wasn't a Thor run that I felt necessary to collect and keep. But I've read after reading that story that uh, that was kind of the misstep. Like that's where they started bringing the Eternals into the Marvel Universe and that prior to that they, yeah, had they weren't they weren't MC or Marvel Universe before that. Yeah, like they were just kind of their own thing in. before. Yeah. Well, 
when Jack Kirby returned to Marvel after having uh, uh, turned traitor to DC for doing, years. Yeah, doing, the, doing like the fourth world over at DC. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, after he finished with all that, he returned yeah. to Marvel and Marvel was like, well, maybe we'll get some fourth world stuff out of this. Do whatever you want. And that's where we got... Uh, um he did eternals he did uh moon knight and devil dinosaur um under the title moon, devil moon, dinosaur, Di- or, no, moon boy and devil dinosaur moon, moon boy yeah subject heading yeah whatever um <laughs> and um 2001 is space odyssey which is where we got uh aaron stack the machine man who anybody who's read uh next wave knows just how hilarious that incarnation can be um <laughs> But yeah, Kirby did a whole bunch of stuff uh, returning to Marvel, and none of it was ostensibly set in the Marvel Universe. 2001 was just an adaptation and continuation of the Stanley Kubrick movie. Uh, Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur was just him having more commandy-type prehistoric fun. And uh, Eternals was him playing with space gods, like he had done with the Fourth World. But, you know, aside from being appealing to the marvel diehards this was kind of more of the same now granted i've read a little bit of uh devil dinosaur and enjoy the concept uh and i've never read any i've never read any commandy so i don't know how much the various ideas overlap other than being both prehistoric set uh storytelling pieces I mean, from what I know of most of the 70s to 80s era comic book artists and beyond, give them an excuse to draw dinosaurs and they'll run wild with it. <laughs> Don't give them an excuse to run or to uh, draw dinosaurs and they'll find one. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm just uh, imagining the, uh, the, uh, the bird guy, like the dinosaur bird guy from X-Men. Sauron. Sauron. Actually, Sauron's a bit of a different story. Um, (laughs) There's evidence to support him being an early attempt at doing a vampire character when they weren't allowed to do vampires. Sneaking around the comic code. What is his yeah. powers like vampire like yeah, he's, or, so he yeah. sort of drains energy. Oh yeah. He uh. he evokes all of the standard tropes of a vampire without looking to the casual observer like a vampire. I mean uh, okay. he, he's uh, got a monstrous demonic form with uh giant wings, but he's a dinosaur, not a bat. Uh, he's got the straight up hypnotic powers, but instead of mesmerism, like the vampire where it's on a subtle level, see, uh, what we do in the shadows, it's more of like a, a mesmerist where like, uh, like he's staring to his eyes and he kind of, yeah. to, to hypnotize you rather than just suggestive. No, he's like, look into my eyes. And then he directly feeds off of the life force of the living. Oh, okay. And when he feeds off of a mutant, that's when he becomes Sauron, the big demon dinosaur genetic abomination whatever the hell he's supposed to be not a vampire (laughs) if he's a vampire the comics code says no so he's not a vampire yeah because i only know him from the uh the animated series so i think he's just the uh i think he's just the dinosaur form no 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 no, when you first meet him in the meet him in the cartoon he uh, was human and when he drained one of the other guy's energies he turned into sauron and he does hit like you know, possess, uh, control, hypnotize people and kind of control them a little bit. That'll happen. That, that's the thing uh, that works about the character is because uh, to go he's check that so diluted from what his source material would have been. Like, 
all of compare Sauron in the cartoon to Morbius in the Spider-Man cartoon yeah. and Morbius is constant plasma yeah. I must have plasma <laughs> yeah. as opposed to his actual you know, biting like people a, yeah. and sucking blood from them. Yeah, because they have to change that for the they, show. Yeah. They're, they're trying to censor that character and make him more appealing to yeah. not necessarily the kids watching because we're not idiots and we know what a vampire is. Yeah. Freaking standards <laughs> and practices. Yeah, I didn't even but know, like, Sauron, watching, having already <laughs> been tailor-made to get around those sort of censorship conventions, you know, they don't have to change him to fit him into the cartoon the the things he does are abstract enough to get around the sensors so there he he works but we've gotten on a few tangents here because of dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. dinosaurs and comics will always do that <laughs> yeah so back, yeah yeah back to jack kirby where we were that was just his explosion into the marvel universe and by trying to segue those books into the mainstream continuity, it's muddled things a bit. And that's always been a flaw in Eternals is it's shoehorned into the mainstream Marvel universe when it was never intended to be part of that. It's always fun to do that. Just just to bring things back to where we (laughs) got off into this tangent. Yeah, yeah. But... I do believe the subject heading was Moon Knight. Yes. Yeah, we got to get up to that. That's <laughs> yeah, so why I figured we'd get there eventually. Yeah. So, uh, so what so, do you know? Uh, as I said, I know his name is Moon Knight. I know All I right. like the idea of Oscar Isaacs playing the character. I, yes. I think he's got the uh, acting chops to be able to play somebody yeah. as complex as yeah, Moon uh, Knight, yeah, Mark like, Spector, Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley. So I, I think, think there's we really a couple of others buried there too. I think we got to get into the basis so we can explain yeah. to Adam about the character, right? Yeah, yeah, because so I know because yeah. uh, generally he's like has he's has some Wait, sort I'm, of like I'm mental to issues hear. or something. Okay, so. there's a particular tagline for describing Moon Knight that I haven't heard yet, and I'm kind of surprised. Oh yeah, so I know. Like, okay, yeah, so yeah, like I, was, I mean, he's like Marvel's Batman. That's why I guess was what you're pretty much. That's a bingo. No, that was great. That was probably going to come eventually to see how close that actually is or not. Because I well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the point. It's where not we'll an how unfound it goes. Yeah. comparison. We'll start so, off with that. The story goes that this guy named uh, Mark Spector, who was this um, uh, soldier who worked for the uh, this bad guy named the Bushman, wasn't it? At the time, At the time. where yeah. his origin story picks up yeah he's working under uh raul bushman he ends up getting betrayed by them and dies and is brought to this temple of uh an egyptian guy named Conchu who resurrects him but makes him his sort of you know servant you know as his moon knight it should be pointed out that it's not just that he ends up there like certain followers seem to yeah he's brought there yes and Um, and is this like brought up in his the first ongoing or in uh, it's very or first it's, it's, or it's, it's first not that simple or, with or moon knight yeah it's, it's very convoluted origin when he starts okay. getting his own regular story they explain the origin but when okay. he first shows up he's just introduces moon knight in an issue of uh where by night let's just yeah let's start number number 32 32 yeah. is right yeah. yeah so yeah let's just start it there so moon knight in his original conception was just a throwaway villain not 
a villain actually but uh, an antagonist for jack russell werewolf by night to to cross paths with a specialized mercenary to be able to take the werewolf down several pegs so kind of like uh, a hulk uh, wolverine deal kind of um not i wouldn't say quite that like wolverine was just kind of kind of this snappy snappy little like hey here's this new character we're just gonna throw in here what do you think kids no um the storyline for werewolf by night at that point um it's been a while since i've read the the specific story but i've i do have it in issues but uh jack is hanging out with uh a number of people that are close to him a guy who's like an uncle slash brother to him uh another uh, woman who's he's gotten close with this woman has a a little child who if i'm not mistaken was like named buttons or something yeah it was something silly like that <laughs> but uh circumstances conspire to have this uncle brother figure in the woods with jack and buttons on the night of the full moon and he gives his all to make sure that despite losing himself to the werewolf jack is not able to do any harm to this poor little girl buttons little girl's left a little traumatized because she saw wolfman friggin gut a very protective father figure to her so yeah as it does the, the werewolf did bad and the werewolf needed to be done bad so the next story arc with reeling right off of uh this character having been mauled by the werewolf we go into this silver clad moon knight avenger just fucking the shit out of our werewolf like he the werewolf's already dealing with a broken paw because he's a stupid you know emotional creature that just lashes out at whatever and it's in its haste has wounded itself and now no matter what it does to fight off the moon knight it's coming into contact with silver which fucking hurts and it's right paw which you know he's he's right-handed so every time he lashes out it's with yeah. that and that fucking hurts so he just keeps getting smacked down because this moon knight guy is skilled yeah. he's got the fighting skills to be able to take on a werewolf and though he's not expecting an honest to god werewolf it's not phasing him <laughs> and he's giving it his all and kind of getting annoyed when the werewolf just keeps getting back up like, like just say that werewolf like come on yeah he's he's his mistake is he's rationalizing the fight as if he's dealing with a man in the form of a beast, not a beast in the form of a man. <laughs> yeah. So on an instinctual level, the werewolf can't just submit to this Moon Knight guy because everything about him is just wrong to a werewolf. You know, he's taken this symbol of the moon, which normally gives a werewolf its strength and has, in the werewolf's eyes, perverted it <laughs> and made it something that just shouldn't be like it's, it's just wrong but the convoluted aspect of moon knight becomes very apparent when you take a character like this from what should be just a hey 
here I am to kick this character's ass. That's all I'm good for. Bye-bye. Oh no, the readers love you. We, we need to do more with you. Because one of the confusing aspects of Moon Knight is that he's brought into the conflict by the antagonists of the werewolf. There's this committee that typical comic book shenanigans they've got some nebulous plans for if not america domination world domination and it involves it, the werewolf somehow it's important to their plans but it doesn't ever really make sense but moon knight is their agent for taking out the werewolf as far as the committee is concerned, they've set up this ex-CIA, ex-US Marine Black Ops mercenary with this flamboyant superhero identity. And the guy's just gone off the rails and kind of taken it for himself. And this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to the committee. And from a reader perspective, when you read Moon Knight, and like, okay, the committee gives him this costume, they give him this equipment, send him off on this mission, and he's just going to keep this outfit, and he's going to roll with this identity of Moon Knight, and it's just going to be his. There's a bit of filler in between the werewolf first appearance and when he finally gets his own ongoing series. By the time we get to that ongoing series, we do need to address what exactly is going on with this origin story? Is Moon Knight Mark Spector, Jake Lockley, Stephen Grant, the, this composite individual? Or is he just a job for hire created by the committee? Something's not adding up here. Dan, you've been reading. Do you want to sound in? Well, from what I was reading further on, they tried to, the first time they explained it was basically him excusing me. They just gave him silver weapons to, to fight um, the werewolf. But um, other than that, they kind of go ahead and they more or less sort of ignore it when they get into the whole Conchu origin and all that. Well, not being a huge fan of uh, Moon Knight myself. I mean, I think I mentioned before how I've never really been a big superhero guy. Um, most of what's drawn into drawn my attention into the Marvel universe has been how uh, expansive their their horror side of things has been. But being a tangential character to Marvel's horror uh, pantheon, Moon Knight's kind of popped up here and there. So when I came across uh, the old uh, Essential Volume One of it for a good price at a con, no, I can't pass up on that. It'll fill my education a little. Give me uh, some, uh, fill some gaps in my uh, knowledge. Yeah. But uh, reading through that one, uh, the way they eventually course correct with uh, the Moon Knight identity is that um, part of uh, who Moon Knight is isn't just the singular physical identity of our titular character. Um, that may sound like a really weird way to describe things, but when you consider that Moon Knight is a composite of at least four or more identities, you've got the the costumed Avenger Moon Knight, you've yeah. got the streetwise uh, cabbie Jake Lockley, you've got the millionaire playboy suave sophisticated Stephen Grant, 
who ironically does share a name with comic book writer Stephen Grant, who, if I recall correctly, has written Moon Knight. Yes, <laughs> he has. That's funny. And you've got his original uh, birth identity of uh, Mark Spector. And uh, which uh, which uh, ones are in the uh, trailer for Moon Knight? Uh, do you remember? They definitely mentioned Steven. Remains to be Steven. seen. They do mention the, the indications are that there's Sorry? distinction between a couple of characters at least. Okay. But yeah. the yeah. Full someone, someone ramification the of it may be more to be seen because some comics at other points in his career or the character's history have indicated that there's a lot more levels to what's going on with uh, Mark Spector's uh, psyche and that there may be a few more personalities that aren't often touched upon. In the trailer specifically, we do keep hearing that they keep referring to him as Steven, but then when they hear him on the phone, someone calls him Mark. And I do believe we also do see him driving a cab at some point. So that would assume that the Jay Lockley identity probably shows up as well. But again, this is just I wouldn't expect those three, but it's Moon Knight they could really play with a couple of uh, preconceived notions that viewers may have. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the three civilian identities are a safe bet, but I'm not betting money on them just because we've seen how they like to kind of play with things. Like it, it almost seems like the Marvel cinematic universe is a chance to do the ultimate universe correctly. You know where they. Well, that's they part of the reasons why we probably are getting all three of those identities, the though. Number one. Yeah, that's probably because I mean, one of the things about Marvel stuff is they always having their ideas behind everything. You know, so one of the True. ideas behind this one is going to be with the multiple personality disorder that they're really going to play up True. the ideas of that and do uh, story with it. So that would say that there is going to be the multiple ones. I mean, again, there, there is that, that Mark and Stephen are in it. We can confirm one of the that. Problems and, though is historically every time they've tried to pin down a psychological analysis on what's going on with this character's fractured psyche it never matches up with textbook diagnoses yeah but that was the way it was with everything back in the day not just in comics and nowadays nowadays we have people that actually try a lot harder with that kind of stuff you know i mean look look at most in moon knight's history they kept calling him schizophrenic which we know is not exactly what i'm what i'm getting at here is that they've often conflated certain diagnoses with other things like disassociative identity disorder with schizophrenia and that's always been seen as a mistake i do believe it was warren ellis who finally corrected things to say like it's got nothing to do with any of that no the the entity of conchu made a psychic connection to a young mark specter and that's kind of screwed up his brain on a on a fundamental level having a psychic connection to an otherworldly god isn't gonna do your mental health any favor like screw you up just a little bit so yeah so we can thank warren ellis for being a more outside the box thinking kind of comic book writer once again in his endless career as a fantastic writer and he's been able to take things away from what you might find in a university textbook and put it back squarely into the realm of like, no, this is comic books. Some elements of comic books do need to be reflected opposite of what's happening in reality. You know, we need representation. We do need to be able to find yourself 
in the stories you're reading. But at the same point, these are comic books. This is a fantasy realm. You can just be here for fun. You don't need to get all angsty and yeah. But to be fair, if they were going to do it for fun, they wouldn't be doing Moon Knight. (laughs) Yeah, you say that without having read some of the really earliest stuff where it doesn't really seem to know if they give a shit or not. I've read enough to know that. uh, Yeah, no. If they if they really wanted to go fun, they probably wouldn't do Moon Knight. You know, (laughs) Devil Dinosaur, right? (laughs) But but then they wouldn't necessarily have Marvel two in one issues. I don't really know if those count in general when you're talking about anything Marvel outside of that, right? <laughs> How many times have I mentioned Project uh, Pegasus? I know. Project I know. Pegasus is an absolute classic. What's a Project Pegasus again? Uh, Project Pegasus is uh, one of the earliest uh, multi-part uh, stories that uh, Marvel did back in the 70s. Uh, Two-in-one being the... Um, the things ongoing title where he would just roll from one adventure to another and hang out with team up with meet get into a fist fight with some new or old friend enemy frenemy who knows it was a mixed bag you know you look at the cover and you see marvel two-on-one presents the thing with freak of the week if it's a freak of the week that you particularly like awesome if it's a freak of the week that you've never heard of awesome you know just roll with it it's the thing but they're typically very loose not necessarily whatever random reason to go there for for whatever thing that kind of solves itself very easily you know this is the kind of series that'll throw caution to the wind and just do whatever they want but then a particular story arc, uh, I for somewhere around issues 42 to 48, give or take. Uh, uh, Mark, Mark Grunewald does a multi-part story that has Ben Grimm meeting this uh, projected energies group, blah, 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 blah. The, it's it's a, a government think tank of superheroes and super scientists trying to just come up with other ways to provide energy for the public. Yeah. So they've been not experimenting on, but studying different superpowered individuals that they've had in custody. Uh, one of these superpowered individuals is a character known as Wondar. Um, he was introduced in an early issue of man things adventures into fear uh he's basically steve gerber was jamming out to ccr and decided he would write a superman pastiche based on ccr's song it came out of the sky so imagine if clark kent's or cal l i'm sorry imagine cal l's uh kryptonian spaceship crash lands in the Florida swamps and the lonely old couple that sees the crash are so freaked out about it. They, they just take off to tell the authorities and nobody discovers the pod for like 25 years. And it just happens to get knocked loose by man thing passing by. And this fully grown 
Superman with the mind of a toddler pops out, sees man thing and is like, hey, motherly imprint. (laughs) I'm going to follow you around, mama. It doesn't go well. I, I don't. I've never read the story where Man Thing first meets Wondar, but Man or not sorry, not Man Thing, uh Ben Thing. <laughs> ben Grimm the Thing. I've never read the one where he first meets Wondar, but the way things are portrayed in Project Pegasus and the way we've seen with Ben Grimm before is that he always plays up this persona of being, you know just as stony inside as he is outside but the guy's got a friggin' heart of gold he's a big old softy he is and he he early on in in man things history ben grimm became one of the few people to recognize the truth of what the man thing was and that he had previously been the scientist ted salas but yeah, because he has a, basically the same story as a Swamp Thing, right? Basically. Yeah, and Alan Alan Moore's kind of played with that a little bit. We do notice uh, the Man Thing type creature in the Parliament of Trees in Saga of the Swamp Thing. Like there's there is definitely connections, but regardless, um, yeah. Ben knows this, and Ben just being a cynical, broken-hearted piece of crap sometimes really feels and maybe justifiably so that uh, a sad sack case like Ted Salas is beneath the notice of somebody like Reed Richards and the other scientists. So Ben's always had a soft spot for the people that fall between the cracks. So when he meets Wondar, recognizes Wondar for what he is, he, you know, Wondar nestles his way into Ben's soft little heart. And he considers himself to be like uh, a surrogate uncle to uh, this, this mental infant. So when he finds out that Project Pegasus is holding on to uh, Wondar, he gets agitated and he crashes through their security to make sure that they're not doing him any harm. And finds out that no project pegasus is actually on the level they're they're not doing anything bad even though this you know the this quasar do-gooder who's chief of security even though he looks exactly like that that crusader type that was so much trouble oh everything here is good but as the six issues progress we find out that there's a traitor in project pegasus Uh, There's one scientist who's been expressing that, oh, no, he's happy that he's recovered and no longer a superpowered villain, but he's really using all the resources to just get himself powered back up. Uh, Things go a little bit out of control. Um, Wondar evolves from being who he was to becoming the Aquarian, where if Superman had all of his powered focused on his brain instead of his body so like he's still super strong and all that but the aquarian has like a level of just kind of bohemian understanding that puts him on a level beyond most other marvel characters let's put it this way uh how familiar are you with marvel zombies 
Uh, not very at all. Well, at a certain point, like when the series was introduced, it was made clear that this was one of the most virulent strains of zombieism we have ever seen in any version of fiction. The characters that should not be able to become zombies are getting zombified. It, it just doesn't make sense on a fundamental so level. Like a, so like a Wolverine sort of thing? or Yep. Ghost Rider. Oh, damn. A spirit of vengeance <laughs> gets infected with zombie virus. Like, robotic characters seem to get turned into zombies. Like, it's it seems to be, like, on a quantum level that this is happening. At a certain point in the Marvel Zombies run, the virus makes its way to the mainstream 616 universe. Yeah. And this is during the era of the initiative when every single United State has its own superhero team. And with the nature of the nexus of realities in the 616 universe, that is where the uh, the virus first appears, is in the Man-Thing Swamp. So Aquarian is one of the characters on the team that deals with this outbreak incursion of the zombie plague where it really matters. Aquarian gets bit. When they've dealt with the situation and are settled, Aquarian confirms that, yeah, he can cure himself of this virus. He just has to, you know, take the time to focus and meditate. Like, he has to put all his focus on himself. He can't be worried about what's going on with anybody else. But he can cure himself of that virus. I that that's a level that's questionable what other characters could accomplish that legion maybe oh yeah legion legion probably could like like, for, like, like, X, like it would be questionable whether or not x man would be able to cure himself of yeah. the this particular zombie infection like that's how major this stuff is so like the the this was this project pegasus story was it brought changes to multiple characters it was the first like to be continued to be continued to be continued where you had like a graphic novel by the time you were finished a full graphic novel type story back in those days is rare yeah it didn't happen too often um I understand uh, Black Panther's uh, story in Jungle Action was another early example of graphic novel that Marvel did serialize throughout multiple issues of a title. Um, I may be having internet troubles here. We've had Uh, some funny internet over the last couple of days at my place. I've heard my roommate uh, raging at things. Not his customers this time. Yeah, you're you're kind of going there for a second, but you're you're fine, so no worries. Yeah, it's it's been sketchy, but uh, well, if I haven't cut out, then that's good. Yeah. But yeah, Project Pegasus was uh, a trailblazer for Marvel in terms of what could be done storytelling wise back in the '70s, and as far as what would retroactively be known as a long form graphic novel tale. Moon Knight actually gets a little bit close to some of that in certain regards. Um, How so? 
have you ever heard of uh, any of our let me rephrase that. How familiar are you with uh, Marvel's uh, magazine output back in the day? Uh, also, not very much. It's a deep, deep well to get into. Um, back in the 70s, Marvel was published through uh, a company called Cadence Industries, and they were a magazine publisher. And Marvel used those avenues to be able to put more stuff out onto the, you know, the magazine newsstand the same yeah. way as we would eventually see heavy metal show up yeah. um, among the numerous magazines that you would you might not have heard of as just a regular marvel fan but the magazines like some of these stories really matter the more of the horror stuff we get into the more we can talk about the magazine stuff because comics code didn't apply to the eight and a half by 11 magazine format that's how Mad got away with things, and how Marvel realized that they could uh, push certain boundaries. So, among other things, was there was a Hulk magazine back in the seventies. Uh, there's, there's been a few Hulk magazines in the day, but the specifically titled Hulk with an apostrophe, uh, Hulk magazine. Uh, there was a backup serialization in that where Doug Moench and Bill Sinkovich got to uh, give Moon Knight legs to run. And because it was in the magazine, they had a little bit more creative freedom as far as uh, what could be done with art. It's it's not what we would come to expect from Bill Sinkovich later in his career. This is very early Sinkovich. It straddles the line between the level of um structural creativity that he would display in new mutants can you think of a better way to describe it dan um you you've read enough of uh moon knight and sinkovich's work on that and i know you're damn well familiar with his work on new mutants it's before he starts there's a a jump between the two but you can see how the start of it the sparks are there in moon knight I, I haven't read enough of the magazines to f- see fully, but the earlier stuff I read of the um, of, it's, like, it's still very Moon Knight, very very structured, very superhero, a lot more standard Marvel type. It wasn't he hadn't gone even the close to the aspect that of uh, of um just it's not as out there mutants wise, yeah. But you could see there were some lead ups to it with him how he actually would draw Moon Knight himself. There, there there's a striving for something more than what some of the artists providing exactly. It, as as the Moon Knight monthly series progresses, his artwork does begin to uh, um, stretch and to grow and to breathe and uh, start to play with uh, certain conventions a lot more than what uh, uh, he would normally have been allowed. Very nice. Moon Knight had been a, an early breakthrough success for Marvel when they were uh, toying with the uh, direct market crowd. Yeah, it was one of the first um, ones that was sold directly to comic stores, right? Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure of the details, but I believe it may have been part of um, a special push for the direct market as well. Like, having spent so much time buying monthly comics in the store, there are those times when you'll find a publisher does something extra to to push a certain title. Um, Let's see... uh, the most infamous in mine and Daniel's time collecting, and you'll probably remember this one too, Adam, 
do you remember mid 2000 early to mid 2000s give or take uh marvel hyped a new namor series drawn by salvador uh, vaguely yeah yeah 25 cent first issue oh fuck <laughs> when that issue dropped like i i got the first issue of it just because like i like namor and i've been a fan of salvador la Roca since he revolutionized the artwork on ghost rider back in the 90s i was pissed it took him yeah. off extreme x-men for that fucking book and then there's <laughs> that's the the segue into things is that up until this point he'd been the x-men artist like the artist and they decide they need him better on Network. He was the only. Oh my God, was it was the only a waste on of X-Men. talent. <laughs> it was a waste of talent. You couldn't find a colorist that can't think of another underwater color than blue. <laughs> Everything is blue that isn't Namor's flesh or Speedos, and it's all so monotonous. And it, it's just a big wank off for Bill Jamas too. I'm in charge of the company. I can call the shots. I can take our hottest artist off of our titles, put them onto my passion project, and just watch the sales skyrocket. You want to know how sales skyrocketed? After me and a couple of other people got our requisite issues, our friend Gord read it, was abhorred with the piece of crap that it was, and bought every remaining issue at Dixon's to save fellow readers from the travesty <laughs> that was that piece of shit title. Yeah, uh, I remember yeah. Dixon's. Yeah, I miss Dixon's. Yeah, so like there are there are times when uh, comic companies will do things to try to push a title, and they'll massively backfire. But it looks like Moon Knight may have been one of the ones where they may have given some sort of discount or incentive to retailers to to pick up the orders on it because from what i understand it was a hot title back in the day um i've got a a friend who's uh about a decade older than me he's a little bit old like actually not a little bit he's a good, good chunk older than you adam uh he's an aged toronto goth um but he's in talking with him like there's a few comic book titles that despite his reading era being so disconnected from my reading era like he's old 70s like conan era um elf quest he's one of the guys that recommended elf quest to me and elf quest was hyped so much throughout everything that i was exposed to throughout like uh wizard there was so much exposure for moon or for elf quest in uh, wizard oh my god elf quest lives up to the hype yeah, it does. ElfQuest exceeds the hype. Yeah. But uh, besides ElfQuest, Moon Knight is the only other uh, title that this friend has actively spoke about. Like, hey, you know, I might at some point be interested in rereading some of that early Moon Knight stuff. And like coming from this friend, like I've made it clear to him, like, dude, with the amount of stuff you've introduced me to, if there's anything in my comic collection that you're interested in reading, any any memory you want to revisit, any story you've heard about that you think like, oh, eh, that might be worth checking out, free reign. He's, besides Dan, he may be one of the only friends that has 100% access to what's in my collection. I, I would trust him that much. Very nice. 
and Moon Knight again, one of the ones that he stands by is like that was a good comic. So there's there is depth and substance to it, but it does seem to take a bit of time to grow. Um, the first essential that I have here, the the volume one. Um, for any listeners that may be interested, the Marvel Essentials were phone book sized trade paperbacks that collected uh, noteworthy runs in black and white. So um, early ones that Dan and I got were a few volumes of X-Men. We got Brandon that uh, volume of Wolverine when I they the Wolverine first, was first came one they made. out. Yeah, yeah I the Wolverine one was the that first was one they ever did. Way, we were kids when we gave him that one. Yeah damn um i still have uh, a howard the duck that's a really early print like it's some of the printing layouts in it are pathetic like there is a solid inch of gutter around the pages in the howard the duck uh, essential that i have small price to pay because that one actually has the contents in order uh some of them would put uh, a run of comics like Dan's X-Men ones would have like 20 issues of X-Men from the 70s and then have like one or two annuals at the end. Oh, and, and then, then later printings, while... later printings, they would have them annuals where they were supposed to be within the stories. Yeah, because <laughs> e- even in the ones that Daniel had, I think you had volumes two and four yep. of Uncanny back in the day. Yep. Even those ones that he had, the early printings, we could tell like, oh, the, these annuals should be set partway through these books oh. they, uh, fucking out of order yeah so the the essentials were uh, a growing project that would be revised after edition after edition the moon knight one that i've got is from gotta be from the 2000s uh, so much in the indica 2006 and it does a pretty good job of putting everything in order we got like werewolf by night two and three or sorry not two and three the 32 and 33 the first two-parter and then marvel spotlight 28 and 29 our first solo appearances and then we get him showing up in various other projects uh there's a couple of spectacular spider-mans that he shows up in followed by uh one of the aforementioned marvel two-in-ones following that he's got uh about a 10 issue run give or take in uh hulk magazine yeah issues 11 to 20 with follow-up in marvel preview 21 if i recall correctly that marvel pre that yeah there we go marvel preview moon knight that specific story is one of the ones that really starts to expand on his background besides what we've been given up to that point of his various personalities his uh, support cast of uh, Marlena, uh, Frenchie, and Crawley. Uh, Marlena is his love interest. Uh, she is a woman who is involved with his origin story. Uh, we got Frenchie. At the point where Moon Knight is introduced, Frenchie doesn't have any further background than being an old wartime buddy of Moon Knight's. He's He's been on mercenary ops and other missions and the two trust each other with their life. And Crawley is a local New York derelict who is used as a source of information for uh, Moon Knight's information gathering. 
he's got an ear to the street and always seems to have some kind of information about whatever caper Moon Knight's trying to figure out. And there, there's expansion to the cast beyond that. But with that, with the Marvel preview issue, that's the first indication of what may have gone on in Mark Spector's life before his mercenary days. Uh, he's dealing with a serial killer known as the Hatchet Man, who has an MO that seems familiar to Moon Knight and Moon Knight alone. Even reading the story for the first time, it's no real spoiler to figure out that the Hatchet Man is related to Moon Knight. The the tropes are pretty well played out. Just like a person he knows or like uh, like a family member. Yeah, the, the way Mark keeps reacting to these uh, reported exploits of the Hatchet Man. You know, no, it's clear that there's a connection and we find out that the Hatchet Man is Randall Specter, Mark's younger brother, oh. who always came up short in their encounters. Like it's, it's a very one-sided sibling relationship where whatever Randall aspires to, Mark has or will do better. Like, and it's, it feels a little bit forced just to, it's, it's like they worked backwards from the revelation that, oh my God, the killer is my younger brother and I knew all along. Like, it's like that that was the revelation they wanted for it, and then just built the story backwards to try to come up with this narrative for, oh, reveal, oh, shock. But it it is the first indication that Mark Spector had a life prior to his days as a heartless mercenary. Yeah. Uh, You know, things may matter to him beyond his current cast of characters. It's also nicely illustrated. Very I nice. mean, it's there. There seems to be a certain expectation set for the art style for the superhero uh, endeavors in Marvel, like especially back in those days. Yeah, uh, who drew when, it? You know? When I, um, I well, I got the book sitting right in front of me. I just got to go back to. So yeah, this is actually the uh, continuation of uh, Sinkovich. Uh, he jumps on with uh, Hulk magazine issue 13, lucky 13 for him, and sticks on. From what I understand, he becomes the regular uh, Moon Knight artist until issue 30 of his ongoing title. And he still stays as cover artist for the remainder of it. I don't think it lasts all that much longer. I don't think it's it lasts more than a year after he leaves the art uh, chores. But I don't think there was anything in between this and Moon, or not to, anything between Moon Knight and New Mutants. Are you aware of anything, Dan? Mm, anything I can think of, I'm pretty sure came after New Mutants. That's what I was thinking too. And, and considering when Moon Knight was running, I, I think he did go to New Mutants next. I, c- I could be wrong. There could be something there, else. In there between. may be a handful of with the the crowd that Sinkovich was running with at the time, like the other artists that he was associated with. 
he most likely was contributing other artwork to various small projects outside of the uh, bounds of Marvel. Well, even that, um, even then that he could still have done a game original fill-in for something at Marvel at that there, point. There is that too, yeah. But like, I'm thinking like uh, the kind of stuff that, like just spitballing off the top of my head, the stuff you'd find like in Star Reach, mm-hmm. you know, the, comparing to the other uh, compatriots that you would find in those titles. Like there, there's probably yeah. other bits and pieces uh, looks like he did fantastic four between doing a uh, new mutants and uh, moon knight how many issues i don't know just i'm um, reading here just to check it up and it just said he had a, a stint as the artist in fantastic four and then he became uh, the artist on new mutants because remember he he didn't come on to new mutants until like issue uh 18 right yeah no i've it's among the few x-men issues that i have i mean that demon bear saga is couldn't consider myself a true Marvel horror fan if I left an omission like that in my collection. Yeah. And I, I still need to read that. It looks like Fantastic Four, he did two issue 219 and then issues 222 to, through 231. Sorry, what issues? 219 and then... 222 to 231. 222 to 231. Does that include Nicholas Scratch issues? God, I, f- I feel like I might have a couple of those issues. Only you can answer that one. <laughs> yeah, no, because there, there's when it comes to like the horror stuff. Yeah, if there's a particular story, I got issues two twenty two and two twenty three. No, Was that you got part two of them at least? Yep, yep, those are part of them. So those two issues are both by uh, Sinkovich, huh? According to the, what I just read here on Wikipedia, just looking at the quick bibliography for uh, all of the issues that uh, Sinkovich has done damn that has totally slipped my mind like thinking back to the artwork in those issues yeah i I can totally see it it for what you would expect from fantastic four yeah it's it stands out but what you would expect for the story it's telling it's perfectly suited so it doesn't really outside of being like wow this tells the story great it doesn't really jump out at you the way like uh, the new mutant stuff did yeah so it may just be part of the transition because he stretches his artistic muscles on moon Knight. like he gets to do some more uh, experimental things i used to have some of the more interesting uh art art wise issues that he uh he had done but uh i i have a particular rule with my comic collection to keep it from getting excessively large and that if there's a a comic i've got that i'm not actually gonna collect properly like it's just taking up space and it's not like it's some specific storyline or specific group of issues that i have for a certain reason i don't need to keep it so i had a reasonable chunk of moon knight and i came to the conclusion that like with all, everything else I collect, I don't really need to collect Moon Knight as a, a regular title. At which point I gave what single issues I had to my friend Victor, because uh, Moon Knight was something that he was actively collecting. And I did give him a bunch of classic Sinkovich issues at that point. And I can recall some of them had some pretty standout artwork where he was approaching the levels that you would see with New Mutants. Like, not quite 
at the the point of designing characters such as warlock but oh so close oh so crucially close it is definitely the title where he began to show that he had something a little bit more than what uh the average up-and-comer had at the time but of course that's not to say that he's the only spectacular artist that uh, has been on moon Knight. no we've had david finch we've had all sorts of other guys over the years right i was actually um quite uh happy when um in the uh, early 2000s, I began, uh, well, actually, around the mid-2000s, I began collecting uh, Thunderbolts. And as we progressed through the Norman Osborn as director of the Thunderbolts era, there were a lot of fun things happening during that era. And that, that's kind, the- that was kind of like the Marvel-like Suicide Squad, right? Yep, or, basically. Um, or, basically, or, or, or they're there, or the posters. It, 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 yeah, if it's... there was gonna be, if they would do another Marvel versus DC crossover, yes, the comparable analog would be Thunderbolts versus Suicide Squad, but only in that both are typically teams of either incarcerated or wanting to reform supervillains for the director Osborne era for the most part uh, these guys were either imprisoned or coerced or being enticed to work for his not necessarily his government yet it wasn't until secret invasion that he got to take that next step but one of the fun things happening during that era was civil war And one of the more outlandish things to happen during Civil War to any Marvel layman, like it doesn't matter what corner of the Marvel Universe you prefer, whether you're balls deep into everything from Avengers on out, or you're just picking and choosing the stuff you like from the characters you enjoy and the creative teams that uh, give you pleasure. Everybody had to sit up and take notice when, wait, superheroes have to register their identities with the government. Moon Knight just registered and got a bona fide ID card? No. No, you you can't convince me that that actually happened. But it did. (laughs) Moon Knight, if I recall correctly, his rationalization was that you know, as such a chaotic and unpredictable and anarchic character as himself, it, it it's just so avant-garde for him to go and register. I mean, it's the last thing anybody would expect. The fun thing is, is despite becoming a card-carrying registered superhero... He didn't give a shit. He just kept doing his same ultra-violent torture, the bad guys (laughs) thing he'd been doing for a few years at that point. So you got to understand with Moon Knight is that if it hasn't been clear yet, his mental state varies. Oh, very much so. Oh, good God, does it vary. And not just the, the fun and carefree early days where Marlena only had to worry about 
which personality is she talking to now? Who is she saying hi to at this point? No, Moon Knight has varied in his devotion to what he believes Khonshu wants as a god, to how he feels about delivering his brand of justice to his kind of perpetrators. It's all over the map when it comes to Moon Knight. And he was pretty off the rails when it came time for the Civil War era. So after having registered, gotten his ID card, and given the proverbial middle finger to the Superhero Registration Act, Tony got a little bit annoyed. Mr. Stark felt things had to be dealt with. So as one businessman to another, he had Norman sick the Thunderbolts on Moon Knight. Now, th this is where I was mentioning earlier how I found I'm somehow missing the last part of the story arc. But yeah, it it's it's fun. Uh, there had been a couple of debacles for this incarnation of the Thunderbolts along the way. They got bitch slapped horribly by American Eagle prior to this engagement. They got sent in to take out uh, Ollie Osnick, the steel spider, or as Norman Osborne's medication man his medication deprived neuroses and just forces him to say spider-man no steel spider man steel spider-man steel spider-man 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 spider no no steel spider <laughs> steel spider-man and yeah it just so happens that Ollie Osnick, if you're not familiar with, he's the kid who collected Spider-Man. There's an iconic early issue. Well, not early. I mean, well, given the time frame that we're dealing with in Marvel Comics, I guess it would be an earlier issue if it happened in the 70s. Mm -hmm. 70s, right, Dan? Yeah, I believe yeah. It, may, it may have been early 80s, but I think it might have been seven. It was more like the 70s. But yeah, there, there's uh, an issue where Peter finds out about this, this nerdy, bullied, downtrodden kid who utterly idolizes Spider-Man, like true fanboy. And Peter's feeling like shit at this point in his life because, well, there's always reason for Peter to feel like shit. So he thinks he might get a little bit of an ego boost by having some fan adoration and it, it doesn't go like super villainy or anything, but it's not quite what he expects. And it gives him a little bit of better perspective on what it means to be a hero. But the end result is this kid still idolizes Peter. And actually, wait a minute. I may be conflating this with a different story. Was this the same kid who made the Dr. Octopus arms? I believe it was. Remember how Steel Spider-Man yeah. had the Dr. Octopus arms? Yeah, but... I, I know that there there was was the kid who collected Spider-Man the same kid who made the octopus arms? I I may be conflating the same the, the two. This is what I get for not being an actual diehard Spider-Man fan and just like picking and choosing, like, oh, this looks like fun. 
Yeah, when Ollie first appeared, he made the uh, the arms. Okay, and so that was then, back in '82. So then he wasn't the kid who collected Spider-Man. Yeah, Ollie Osnick was an overweight. So he he was a yeah he was a different Doctor Octopus. Yeah, he was he was the the opposite of the uh, the kid who collected Spider-Man. He was the one who idolized Oct or idolized Oct. Yeah, but anyways, he got his himself set straight. And, well as straight as a dysfunctional teen can be in the Marvel universe. I mean, we've seen how that plays out, but by the time of civil war, he's in his early twenties, uh, has lost all the baby fat and has refined his Dr. Octopus tentacles and is now the steel spider and is defending his podunk little small town that he lives in, which just happens to be the same small town that American Eagle lives in. I'm not too caught up on American Eagle. I know he has early appearances in Captain America, had some uh, solo appearances in Marvel Comics Presents, which is a goldmine for just crazy off-the-wall fun stories. You got creators doing all kinds of wild stuff in there, artists getting to run wild with different styles. That's where Sam Keith gets to really play with uh, developing his style. But uh, yeah, American Eagle... Is basically a Native American Captain America, only he's got, as far as the Thunderbolt story goes, he's got significant super strength and super speed. As Ollie is making a laughing stock of the A-team of Thunderbolts, which as a relatively average mid-20-year-old schlub with for Marvel level tech, fairly low level mechanical arms, he's making a laughing stock of Thunderbolts. Right. So they so they call the B team in. Would you be able to guess the single individual that makes up the B team for this incarnation of Thunderbolts? I'm I i do not know. I, you're you're not Venom. enough yet. Yeah. Venom. Bullseye. Oh, it was, uh, that's right. It was Bullseye in this one. <laughs> Venom was on the main A-team. Yeah. Bullseye was the B-team. <laughs> I was mistaken what, that because Venom's what's... the one who takes out Ollie in the end. Yeah, well, that's the one who takes out Ollie because he bites off his arm. Yeah. But, yeah, um, Bullseye ends up getting sicked on American Eagle, and that's where the flaw in using Bullseye as a plan B comes into play. Bullseye's useless against true superhuman opponents. <laughs> he can't actually hurt American Eagle, and it takes nothing for American Eagle to cripple Bullseye again. <laughs> There's a bingo card for Bullseye being crippled. Yeah, because he's the one that has like the like adamantium uh, like spine at some point or something like that or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah at some point, I- Actually, I've been rereading Alpha Flight, and that whole nonsense gets tied in there. And as I was talking with Dan earlier in the week, oh, man, Lady Deathstrike is a stupid character in his in her initial appearances. <laughs> not not as Yukio. Yeah, but when she turns into not, No, sorry, 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 not Yukio, Yuriko. Yuriko. Kind of annoying that there's Yukio in the Wolverine stories and Yuriko in Daredevil. Oh yeah, that's right. After the conclusion of her adventure with Daredevil, where she kills her father, Lord Darkwind, she suddenly has a 180 and decides, 
oh my god i killed my father and now i'm seeing all this unwavering loyalty he instilled in his soldiers i need to learn more of my my father's history as if being raised japanese she knows nothing of the geary that wolverine is so constantly going on about as if she knows nothing about the level of honor that exists in her native society yeah yeah she gets a little convoluted and kind of useless in her motivations it's like by the time she starts showing it up in x-men the writers have concluded like she's an idiot she's programmed this way at this point we don't have to care she just hates wolverine just let her loose is there any contrary to that daniel not really. It takes a long time for them to really get in her beyond any time. But if she shows up, she just tries to kill Wolverine. With the exception of the one time where he was basically dead. She's like, well, there's no honor killing him now. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that always happens in the comics. Yeah. But yeah, she was complex in the few. I don't have the full story arc of Daredevil where she first appears. I think I got about half of it. But she's definitely a hell of a lot more complex in that than she is in anything she appears in under her Deathstrike persona. I'll have to see if I can find those Daredevil books in here. Yeah, but yeah, if I with, don't have them with with Moon Knight. Um, yeah, this with Bullseye. This is post the whole him getting fixed, and there's a lot of complications with Bullseye, and it gets confusing as to which point he's being crippled and which point he's not. I mean, there's some great stories back in the Frank Miller era where. Ooh, Dude, if, if, you, if we were still in a local location, there's some key issues at Daredevil that I'd have to show you. The, the, the Russian roulette issue where uh, Daredevil is sitting at uh, a paralyzed bullseye's uh, bedside, like hospital bedside, and recanting, recounting this whole situation he found himself in involving like this little boy his father who was involved in law but was corrupt and the conflict in this little boy's mind over you know he idolizes his father but his father's a bad man who got taken out by daredevil like and it culminates in the kid bringing a gun to school and it the narrative of the issue is Daredevil sitting at Bullseye's uh, bedside with Bullseye paralyzed from like the top of his spine to the bottom, unable to say a word. As Daredevil like sits there, tells him this whole event as he pull, puts the gun to his own head, pulls the trigger, tells more of the story, puts the gun to Bullseye's head pulls the trigger keeps telling the story and as he's going he just keeps taking the gun back and forth playing russian roulette and at the final six bullet pulls the trigger and that's when he reveals the futility of their conflict between him and bullseye is that no matter what they do their guns are empty they'll just keep going around back and forth back and forth until you know daredevil gets possessed by the beast and then you know Kills Bullseye. Well, that's an entirely different fun story that Frank Miller really didn't have any and idea you know was what? when he was writing those early stories. We and can get back to Moon Knight because I got to say, Moon Knight's thing in that is one of my favorite Moon Knight moments, right? 
that was one of the ones like I, I got up to like, oh, yeah, he was involved with that. I got to double check. Oh, fuck. I don't have the time. So, so out of the story of Moon Knight. Shadowland you know, was awesome. The, we'll the, have to cover yeah. that as an entirety at one point. In, in, in this story, though, all, all the heroes are trying to deal with, you know, like Daredevil going bad. And while they're all trying to deal with this, Moon Knight's already snuck into the prison and he's already broken out and he's already doing his own thing without involving any of the other superheroes because that's just how Moon Knight does his shit. He is, he is not a team player. Like... Even he though he could, has been an Avenger twice. He was a West Coast Avenger for like 20 issues back in the day. Yep, yep. Until John Byrne took over and didn't want to use him. And then he, later he became a secret Avenger, which is where the um, uh, Moon Knight in the suit comes from. No, apparently Warren Ellis introduced that a little bit earlier. And everybody else just liked it enough that they wanted to keep doing it. Cause, Warren Ellis oh, was the one who did the secret Avengers. I, I know, but he had done some uh, Moon Knight stories prior to that. And that's where he introduced that whole uh, white suit with just the simple mask. That's where it first came up. And then later with Secret Avengers, they were just like, let's just keep this ball going, man. This is awesome. Yeah. I mean, a good costume design is a good costume design. Where did uh, Warren Ellis work on it? Uh, I was reading it earlier. Because the earliest I don't he involved in it like five or six. He did volume seven, but that was after Secret Avengers. That was 2014. No, he had done some earlier than that. Well, there wasn't really any uh, Vengeance between... of Moon Knight. Okay, so uh, 2009 series that followed mm -hmm. up uh, um, the Thunderbolts uh, era that I had uh, got a few issues of. That's the one where... Uh, um, uh, it looks like that's where it was. No, no, no. no okay, no. They're uh, never mind. They're mixing the two. Uh, they're lumping the two bits together into one. Yeah, no. Secret Avengers is where it was introduced because that's where Warren but, Ellis first started writing Moon Knight. But re regardless, Warren Ellis is still one of the. If if you're a listener who's unsure about where to branch out into the wider world of what comics can offer. I don't think it's possible to go wrong with Warren Ellis as the writer. I don't think it matters what direction you go in. If you find a book written by Warren Ellis, read it, read it and enjoy. I can't think of a Warren Ellis story that I've read that I did not find some enjoyment from. Astonishing X-Men. That's a little bit of a different beast, though, Dan. I mean, it was just not really. He he took over after Joss Whedon, and it wasn't exactly. That he took over after, but that wasn't the problem. Exactly. That wasn't the problem. That was not the problem. The problem was the convoluted story of alternate universes and mutants from alternate universes and these ghost boxes, and them doing a segue and doing a separate miniseries just about these ghost boxes, and it just it it wasn't that interesting. Okay, I remember some of that, and I'll concede. Yeah, I remember seeing the solicitations for uh, Astonishing X-Men ghost boxes. And I'm like, is this necessary? I think I think you read a little bit of it up until the point where I, Forge I went evil. Some of it, yeah. yeah. No, you read up until Forge went evil. Forge was the bad guy in it. Oh, and that, yeah. That point, no, that, that's, you... the, that's exactly the sort of thing that's going to turn me off from a story arc. Is taking exactly. a character that I genuinely like and respect and deciding, no, they're evil. Yeah, no, that was I when mean, you were there, done. There are certain times when it can be justified i mean i think i've mentioned before how i threw down uh the uh jason aaron issue of ghostwriter that uh, no daniel way it's daniel way no 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 remember i had gotten through all the garbage that was daniel way's run of ghostwriter made it to jason aaron's run thought okay 
let's see if things get better from here. And then like two or three issues in, it reveals Danny Ketch is the villain of this arc. I'm like, no, I can't take this. And I threw the comic down in disgust. Like I can't suffer through all the garbage that was Daniel Way's run. And then now have this next run reveal that the character that I've been pining for this whole time is now the villain of this next story arc. No, I can't take it. A couple years later, though, thankfully, uh, our friend Victor, uh, we were hanging out. We had picked up our new comics and he'd been getting Deadpool team up. And the latest issue of that had Ghost Riders, as in plural. And I'm like, wait, what's this? Ghost Riders? Like, oh, yeah, Johnny and Danny. What? Oh, yeah. As of the end of the last uh, Ghost Riders series, both Johnny and Danny both are Ghost Riders. I'm like, that's what I've always wanted. And I read the comic and it's it's a fun little throwback to the sort of storytelling you would get from the old Marvel 2-in-1 with uh, The Thing. Only now it's Deadpool teaming up with others. It, it sucks me in. I go out and I grab that issue and I stick with Deadpool team up pretty much to the end because they had some fun characters showing up in that series. But it led me to work my way backwards through beg your pardon, through the Jason Aaron run. And when I finally sat down and read Disgust, I understood where they were coming from from a writer's perspective. I've, I'm a huge fan of the 90s Ghostwriter. Danny Ketch is one of my favorite characters, but as portrayed throughout his series, Danny is stupid. Danny Ketch may be one of the dumber titular protagonists of a Marvel comic. The number of times Caretaker proverbially smacked him upside the head with answers to questions he was directly asking. What's this whole connection between me and Ghost Rider? There's no you and him. He is you. You're screwed up in the head. Get over it. You know, Danny was dumb. And going through this Jason Aaron run retroactively and seeing, oh, yeah, Danny's being manipulated by a, a, a heavenly bad guy, and a bad guy angel. Oh, my God, this is so in character for who Danny is. He would totally fall hook, line, and sinker for this crap. I did you wrong, Jason Aaron. I apologize. I did you wrong. And then around this point, I'm also reading Wolverine and the X-Men, which is one of the most fun X-Men titles in the while, you know? Oh, that Marvel, fun Marvel teased us with some good Wolverine at that time. Yeah, they did. Juan Jose Rip. They got Juan Jose Rip for Ghost Rider. Ben Sensor just not, not Ghost Rider, sorry, Wolverine. Yeah, one issue. On good God. Juan Jose Rip is not an artist you want to see play in Marvel Sandbox. You want to see him somewhere where he can let loose, like Avatar, where you can see him illustrate Frank Miller's RoboCop, adapting his script for RoboCop 2 that was considered unfilmable, or Brian Pulido's Nightmare on Elm Street issues, which are classic 80s Freddy shenanigans. Or you could read Black Summer and No Hero, two phenomenal superhero postmodern works by Warren Ellis. You know, 
anything Marvel could let him do that would be outside of their Max imprint or Epic as it was back in the 80s is a waste of the man's talents. You know, you say that, but to be fair, I think if he did it, if he was the guy who did Hearts of Darkness, not to say there's any problem with the art in Hearts of Darkness, I think it would have looked fucking fantastic. Can we clarify which Hearts of Darkness? Uh, the uh, Punisher Ghost Rider Wolverine one. Well, yeah, but either I mean, or, to be I'm honest, I'm not sure if he was even in the comics. Oh no, he wasn't. He out. wasn't. I'm just pointing out that there are these occasional Marvel stories. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No. Like, uh, remember how I had that, that would, one? Would play um, to his strengths. True. I remember there, how I had that, I had that one issue it. of uh, X Men Unlimited, where like the portal opened up and all the different X Men from all the different universes were just pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. He would have done fantastic on that issue too, but I mean, I wouldn't want to take away Car Andrews in that art because, well, Car Andrews is amazing himself. Car Andrews is also an amazing artist too. He's not like Juan Jose Rip is like Jeff Darrow minus the engineering degree. Yeah, it's there. There's just a level of intricacy and detail that is rare in comics. But cutting back to trying to circle things back to Moon Knight. One of the artists that uh, I personally enjoyed because he was showing uh, a bit of resurgence around the time was uh, those Thunderbolts issues that I had were illustrated by Mark Texiera. I thought it was Diodato. No, Diodato was the illustrator of Thunderbolts itself. Texiera was the illustrator of uh, the issues of Moon Knight at that oh, point. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. I, I um, what you but if I... but you'll recall that right after this arc there was that huge marketing blitz for i think issue 25 and that was diodato uh doing the moon knight issue which was like the uh i i'm not sure how many fights moon knight and the werewolf by night have had over the decades but this was like one of the major rematches and diodato was definitely the artist of choice for that one it's kind of like the whole, you know, Rogue Miss Marvel thing. You know, they don't need to be fighting anymore. But every once in a while, writers just want to throw them back into a fight again for no real good reason. Yeah, I, if I recall correctly, the reason for their fighting in that issue 25 or whatever was outside interference. You know, the usual bad guy manipulation. It may have even been like the committee coming back. Uh, I, I think it's buried in my horror stuff somewhere. Anyway, though, uh, we've been going here for about an hour and a half now. You know, oh, yeah. And, uh, we, we've lost uh, track of Moon Knight several times throughout the discussion, but that's probably a consequence of having not really followed a whole lot of Moon Knight over the well, years. That, that, that looking at the Moon Knight stuff is a problem. Is there's a lot of gaps and stuff. You know, he, you know, late 80s and like most of the 90s, he wasn't really around. He didn't really come back again until around the Civil War era. And then even then, he'd have a, a series and he'd be gone for a little bit. Then he'd be back and gone. And Well, no, no, no. You're, you're missing out. Uh, Mark Spector Moon Knight uh, ran from uh, 1989, give or take, for about oh, 94. Issues. Yeah. 94. Guess so that's right a good five that. years there. 98, there was that four issues with uh, Doug Moench and Tommy. And again, Edwards. that doesn't really count. I had a so couple much. issues of that yeah. one. But at that point, I don't really count a lot of this main running stuff. Because remember, in 98 and 99, around that era of Marvel, they were throwing out miniseries of literally everything that would be out just to get out and then would be forgotten about because half of them were crap. More yeah, than half of them were crap. You're talking to the guy that sought out the last two issues of Journey into Mystery 
because Hannibal King was the headliner. Yes, they threw everything they could at the wall to see what would stick and make money. As if Hannibal King was going to be a moneymaker at Never. any time. I mean, I enjoy the issues, but let's be honest. He, he was never not a character that's going to draw the reader's wallets. But yeah, no, following on, like 98, there's the four issues. 99 uh, is when we get uh, uh, Moench coming back, this time uh, with Mark Textiera as the artist. But then how many of the series ended up with him dying and then being resurrected in the next series? It becomes a plot point in later series about whether or not he has died. Yeah, but that's, again... When a series ends, he suddenly disappears and he isn't used again until they bring him back for a series. Then generally when the series is done, they stop using him again. At least he's come back. I mean, Eric Masterson has stayed dead since the end of his series. I'm uh, glad they bring him back. Quite. They brought uh, him back. They didn't an... need to bring him back. They gave his son the Thunderstrike Mace. So um, I, I, what issue was I reading like the other week where there was something about a dead character coming back and they went to go see who it was. They were convinced no. there was going to be this one person and then like a zombie Thunderstrike stepped out. No. What one was it though? That's insulting. That's in, like I. It was something I read the other week. But, like it was a recent issue that just came out. Thunderstrike's one of those books where like I'm, I don't want to spoil and read the remaining issues online i want to actually get the last half of that series and read it because i actually enjoy uh, everything i've read of thunderstrike and from what i understand like the guy sacrifices himself as like a true hero like he saves the world and it costs him his life and you know the way tom defalco followed that up years later with uh, uh thunderstrike's son uh eric masterson's son kevin like once he's a teenager, like he's kind of fucked up by knowing that his father was this great hero that saved the world. And what did it come? What did it come to? He's never seen another superhero. None of the superheroes ever came in and said, "Hey, your father, you know, your father was a great man." You know, this this kid has grown up with the the hypocrisy of superheroes, and then he gets his father's actual thunderstrike mace and he's the only one that can use its power and now he's realizing what it really means to be a superhero what that responsibility is yes this is like a spider-man from the modern age we don't need his father brought back well i don't think they're bringing him back bringing him back they, like, yeah, they better not. zombie one like the number of times that they've that marvel has faked out on bringing back characters that should be brought back only to give us characters that should have been left in the grave respectfully. I am just, I am racking my brain on what it was that I read. Yeah, you'll just go on to your sources and read whatever you can do. Yeah, especially when I'm working, there's nothing going on. <laughs> Mister, I work a job where shit never happens. No, that's not true. <laughs> Shit know. happened. Okay. I know. I've heard the stories. And, uh, it, it, was, it was the new Strange series. The first issue of the new Strange uh, series. Uh, Leah is going back because she sees some resurrection. She's cast spells so that she, if some sort of resurrection energy is happening, she will know because she's convinced that Stephen is coming back to life. The end of the issue, energy. she starts detecting this resurrection energy and she goes to it and she's all happy that Stephen's going to step out and instead a zombie thunderstrike steps out. That was where it happened. I got to get the new Strange, but I'm disheartened a little bit. Why? I mean, I, I've I've been swerved before. I've uh, been I, swerved before. Yeah. 
but I'll wait yeah, and no, see if I, I just I just feel like you know that's that's an unnecessary resurrection when like one of one of the main comparisons between Marvel and DC is the the willingness to rely on legacy characters. DC has typically shown a little bit more willingness to put an older character on the shelf in favor of having a newer character take up that mantle and trying to embrace that new character as that character like throughout mine and dan's childhoods tim drake was robin mm-hmm. we understood that dick grayson was the previous robin well, the we first got one. confused yeah. when people told us about jason todd yeah, so, so we yeah, got so, older and read more comics yeah, so tim would have been the third one yeah tim yeah. was the third one yeah or on the other hand wally west you know our entire lives yeah, yeah it was. was wally west and then yeah, until 2006 yeah. when they brought back barry yeah because yeah. barry died in like what it was like it was 85 during christ yeah, uh, during yeah the, the year crisis, i was yeah. born yeah the yeah. year i was born yeah yeah like <laughs> that's that's something that gets overlooked by certain creative types in the industry is that unless you're talking like real creator-owned comics no change is permanent i mean you can have some revolutionary new idea of how to interpret a character that you love for ages that may make perfect 100 percent sense to you based on everything that you've read growing up but Who's to say that somebody 10 years down the line is going to have a completely different perspective on that character because they grew up in a different era reading different stories that were their introduction to how this character should be. Grant Morrison tried to turn Magneto back into a crazy psycho bastard who just wanted to kill people because that's what he read when he was younger. Not not the character that had been developed over the years who had become (laughs) more of a sympathetic character who, you know with all the, the everything with the Holocaust involving him and all that stuff. No, no, Grant didn't care about any of that stuff. Grant wanted to go back to being a crazy bastard that, in his words, everybody loved. See, that, that's one that always bugged me, is that when you take a singular character that, that has had growth and development and then just set the clock back 10, 20, 30 years. Or in this case, 40. Yeah, or as opposed to something like, say, my experiences as a Ghostwriter fan, whereas Johnny was the first spirit of vengeance types flaming skull ghost writer as a legacy character inspired by the previous phantom writer who had been ghost writer you know just just a title thing no mm-hmm. character connection johnny had a full story arc throughout the 70s to 80s he had a beginning middle and an end and he's one of the few characters that got a happy ending for his time he got the girl when we pick up later in the 90s with the new ghostwriter we find that johnny married the girl had kids took over the quentin carnival runs it as his business he's got a life he's got contentment and that's all being thrown out of whack by this new ghostwriter that may dredge up skeletons from his past and then you've got like a decade worth of ghostwriter stories with this new Danny Ketch. The old stuff is incorporated, expanded upon. We learn new things. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Danny and Johnny being brothers, I never had a problem with that. Never once. 
the explanations to rationalize it never felt too forced compared to some of the other shit that's gone on in Marvel Comics over the years. Oh yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but then after the 90s series ends, it seems like every single other writer that wants to tell ghostwriter stories ignores those eight years, 1990 to 1998, those eight years of dense storytelling in favor of dredging Johnny through more heaps of shit. That's always bugged me as a fan. Like, you know, I, I get wanting to tell exciting stories, but why do you have to arbitrarily change a character's status quo just to throw more shit at him? Like, I've talked with Daniel plenty of times about how the weirdness with Johnny Blaze is, are his kids missing or are they not? You follow the progression of his story. He rescues his kids. He saves them. That's how his ongoing series ends. But then the next uh, reference we have to his kids is in the ongoing Ghostwriter series where, oh, no, we've lost the kids. They're gone. I don't know where they are doesn't make sense you know then but it's just an example of trying to change the status quo to fit what you used to oh comic books yeah moon knight thankfully has seemingly avoided a lot of the steps backwards and generally just keeps moving forward which does seem to give him a little bit of a, a different life than the average marvel character where it's like two steps forward, three steps back, five steps forward, one step back, and it's just constant shuffle all over the place. Moon Knight has his complications. They define him. And despite those definitions, he keeps moving and growing forward and doesn't really seem to, to backstep. I guess that makes him a pretty good character as far as um, consistency goes. Yeah, it works. Yeah, I mean, you go into it kind of assuming somebody's got to be crazy to take a job to fight a werewolf. <laughs> and they don't really do a whole lot to dissuade us from that <laughs> initial assessment. Yeah, this is a guy crazy enough to take on a werewolf. As you do. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so yeah, so I think that... Uh, so it should get everybody uh, at least ready for the uh, show that comes out uh, later this month. Uh, any, any last things to add before we uh, say goodbye? Uh, well, this is going to be a somewhat should be more of a violent one compared to, you know, closer to like what Daredevil was as opposed to uh, what a lot of the other Marvel shows have been, you know, right. within reason on Disney Plus, because, yeah. you know, Moon Knight yeah. is supposed to be the more violent of the heroes. Yeah, so, yeah, Di- so. Disney Plus has been flirting with a bit of the more violent fare, and I do suspect that putting the Netflix uh, Marvel stuff, at least on Canadian Disney Plus, yeah. is probably testing yeah. the boundaries of what they announced. Disney they Plus is getting it in the states as well, and they also announced the yeah, states that now getting surprised. parental controls because of this. Because I guess yeah. you know, in the states they don't have any adult stuff, so there's no parental controls. Whereas you know here I've got like the kids blocked from all the Star stuff because well I mean they don't really need to be watching Alien without me. And no, Lily's gonna watch Alien here. Like I said, again, that's why you gotta block her from it here. There, right? There's lots. There's lots of. There's gonna be movies. I'll encourage her. No, no, like 
You want to watch a good ghost movie, The Frighteners? No, you have that on your oh. shelf. You you watch The Frighteners with oh, Mommy fr- and Daddy. Uh, the, the You'll be better off great. watching Classic. The Frighteners with Mommy and Daddy. Classic. But no, you you watch Alien. It's gonna be at my place. You know, she's gonna be sitting here between me and her dad. Yeah, but my thoughts on the Moon Knight TV show. I hope he fights a werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, shows hey, up a one hey they cast werewolf by night. We're gonna see him by Halloween. They did. They did. So it's not a pipe dream. I mean. If if you go on like YouTube or social media and all those places where you get inundated with all these clickbaity type articles, you will see all kinds of crap about these sort of oh can such and such character do this? Yeah. All right. I totally lost my train of thought somehow. (laughs) Can such and such character show up? Can this and this happen? Oh, yeah. The rampant speculation that you find all over the place. Mephisto? Mephisto? Is it Mephisto? It's Mephisto. (laughs) See, it says here it's Mephisto. It's not Mephisto. (laughs) But in this instance, it's not unjustified that we could see a werewolf. Oh, there you go. It won't break my heart, but I'll still have hope. Yeah, we'll have to come back and see, like, uh, to find out if there was one or not. Oh, yeah. We'll find out at the end of April, I guess. And then uh, for the next episode, uh, we'll figure that out. Yeah, I'm not even sure what comes next after this. Uh, Is it Doctor Uh, Strange? I believe it's Doctor uh, Strange. Yeah, I think it's the next thing. Yeah, that will be a lot to a lot to unpack. Yeah, that's like making yeah May, like, I believe. Yeah. I, I think Doctor Strange. We're gonna have to do a pre Doctor Strange two yeah. episode and a yeah. post Doctor Strange oh, yeah. two episode. If you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, we'll, we'll probably do like a Doctor Strange before it comes out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think some of the stuff that's going to happen in it. I, I think that after the movie comes out, we're gonna have to have another episode about that to talk about things that happened in the movie that people need to know more about because right. i mean we've already seen from the one trailer somebody showing up that was unexpected oh yes 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 <laughs> yeah so yes. And i'm just glad that shumagorath is in it and i'm disappointed that they can't call him shumagorath yeah shumagorath huh that, that weird you played marvel eye. you played marvel versus capcom you played x-men versus street fighter come on Shumagorath so, wasn't an X-Men Street Fighter. So oh, I, so yeah, I know that. But He's still the weird getting... guy with the big single eye. Yeah, X-Men, oh, versus, yeah. X-Men versus Capcom, the big alien tentacle thing, the, the Lovecraftian monster. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah right. that, that's who we see in the trailer. They just can't call him Shumagorath because that is technically part of Conan. Uh, yeah. All right. So yeah. All right. All right. So, yeah, anyway. So... Well, thank you, Romary, for joining us, and thank you too for discussing Moon Knight. And then uh, join us, uh, now, I guess, in a whenever we do our next one. And uh, and until then, uh, keep track of us on the Marvel Pod on Twitter or the Multiverse of Marvel on Instagram, and then we'll uh, see when we're uh, posting our next episode. And uh, thanks for joining us. And until next time, read some comics, people.